0: This is the 5 o'clock News Block on News Talk Sports 94.9 WSJM. Brought to you by the Town Crier Wire. In the newsroom, I'm Andrew Green. Benton Harbor Area Schools is getting its debts forgiven by the state. The Michigan House Thursday approved a supplemental budget bill that eliminates the $12 million in emergency loans the district owes. State Representative Joey Andrews tells us he worked on the issue to help the district get back on its feet. The debt was something that you know I think many in the community there feel that the school was unfairly straddled with during that emergency management period, and it's been sort of an anchor around their neck for the last 10-plus years. About half a million dollars in financing every year goes out the door. Money they can't invest in teacher salaries or facility upgrades. Andrews says the district couldn't issue bonds at a reasonable rate because of all the debt crippling its ability to improve facilities. The supplemental budget bill eliminates state debt for six school districts around Michigan, including Muskegon Heights, Pontiac, Marshall, Ypsilanti, and Inkster. It's kind of hitting the reset button for Benton Harbor and these other schools and saying, okay, here's your chance to do what you need to do, get the schools back on their feet, and try to give them the best shot we can at succeeding. This eliminates all debt Benton Harbor area schools owes the state. School Board President Deshauna Robinson says the debt elimination by the state, quote, further garners our ability to actualize the district's mission, vision, and goals. Superintendent Kelvin Butts says the legislature's action is, quote, not just a financial reprieve, but a moral support to our entire school community. Andrews says the matter now goes on to the governor. State Representative Pauline Wenzel is not a fan of energy legislation approved by the Michigan House Thursday. The package of bills requires Michigan to get 100 percent of its energy from carbon-free sources by 2040, Speaking on the House floor, Wenzel said this will only make the state's electric system worse. Instead of fixing our aging grid, these bills will raise the rates of our Michigan families, all the while destabilizing our already unreliable grid. Madam Speaker, based on my conversation with my electric provider, we're looking at possibly a 40 to 50 percent increase of family energy costs just to start. Wenzel says this will put all the state's eggs in one basket, driving away manufacturers. She said we should be making the system more reliable. This irresponsible and thoughtless policy does the opposite. It pushes an arbitrary goal at a pace decided entirely by those that have no background, expertise, or knowledge in this complex field. The package defines carbon-free energy sources as solar, wind, nuclear, and hydropower. There are benchmarks the state would have to meet between now and the 2040 deadline. The package also removes local zoning authority over large solar and wind developments. Wenzel called it just plain bad. The Berrien County Board of Commissioners is seeking proposals for the use of the county's opioid settlement money. As a result of a nationwide lawsuit against the drug makers, Berrien County is expected to receive $8 million in the next 18 years. At a meeting this week, the county commission approved the recommendations of the Berrien County Opioid Task Force and issued a request for funding proposals. This gives organizations that have ideas for fighting addiction to opioids an opportunity to apply for funding. The county is offering to support a $1.1 million three-year program with payments of $300,000 in the first year and $400,000 in the second and third years. The county board approved the request for proposals on Thursday with no comment. With the time change this weekend, the Michigan Department of Transportation is urging drivers to be extra cautious for a while as they adjust to the new conditions. Spokesperson Nick Scherippa tells us drivers need to watch out for people traveling on foot or rolling, like on a bicycle, wheelchair, skateboard each evening while they're driving home. This is that time of year when, as the clocks change, so does our vision when we drive. It's a time of year when the sun is the lowest in the sky at sunrise and at sunset. So if you're driving east in the morning or west in the evening, you'll be staring directly at the sun. And that can make it a little tricky on your morning commute because you'll be battling the glare, you'll be battling the sunlight, and that can make seeing pedestrians, cyclists, anybody not in a vehicle, even vehicles, very difficult to see. Research from the University of Michigan and confirms pedestrians are more at risk of serious injury from a crash in the weeks following a return to standard time. The most dangerous time is the first hour of darkness. Sharipa says drivers also need to watch out for other cars because visibility in some cases will be reduced. He urges everyone to make sure their headlights are on. U.S. Senators Debbie Stabenow and Gary Peters have announced $38 million in federal grants for 46 rural organizations in Michigan to make energy efficiency improvements and renewable energy investments. The funds come from the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Among the recipients are several in southwest Michigan. Lakeshore Sales Corporation in Stevensville is getting $250,000 to install a solar array at Bridgman Public Schools. Keatser Farms in Hartford is getting $245,000 for a solar system. Nobel Family Dairy in Goebbels is getting $112,000 to install solar equipment. Vale Rubber Works in St. Joseph is getting $683,000 for a solar system. Barry Brooks Enterprises in Wazhack is receiving 220000 for the same purpose, and New Buffalo Animal Hospital is getting 27000 also for a solar system. Senator Peters says, quote, Investing in our rural communities ensures that every Michigander has the opportunity to succeed. The Blessings in a Backpack program in South Haven is being taken over by the Rotary Club of South Haven. The Rotary's Mary Sue Lyon tells us Blessings in a Backpack packs up bags of nutritious food for kids each week, The bags are given to them for the weekends so they eat healthy at home. The program has been in the community about 12 years. We have been involved in helping to pack those bags for most of those 12 years. We've been one of the core groups that has done that. And so the current steering committee asked us if we would pick up really their roles as managing the program. Lyon says the current committee reached out to help keep Blessings in a Backpack sustainable moving forward. She notes the Rotary has the volunteer power to keep it going. We pack almost 200 bags of food for children every week. Now Rotary will manage the program, which is part of a national nonprofit. Blessings in a Backpack is supported entirely with donations. Lyon said the best thing anyone can do to help is to make a donation, which can be done through the South Haven Community Foundation. And it took a jury about an hour to return a guilty verdict against a 58-year-old Dewajak man for the rape of his home health care worker. Cass County Prosecutor Victor Fitz says Robert Schmelz attacked the home health worker in August of last year. The 65 year old woman said during the trial this week, the defendant, a 350 pound man, became physically aggressive and held her down on the bed while raping her. Forensic evidence backed up the testimony. Schmelz claimed the sex was consensual. The jury didn't buy it. He was convicted of third degree criminal sexual conduct today. Cass County Assistant Prosecutor Mary Foster says the, quote, outcome ensures justice for a terrible crime perpetuated against an innocent woman, adding the victim-incurred lifelong traumatization. Smell to be sentenced in February. WSJM News now continues with your Bloomberg report. (music) WSJM News now continues, brought to you by Imperial Furniture in Dowazak, where furniture shopping is fun. As U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken continues to push his rally officials for a humanitarian pause, IDF forces continue their military operations inside Gaza. ABC's Karen Travers has the latest from the administration on Americans leaving Gaza. The White House says the U.S. Embassy in Cairo helped more than 100 American citizens and their family members who departed Gaza on Thursday. Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre told reporters the White House is also aware of additional U.S. citizens and their families who left Gaza Thursday but didn't seek assistance upon arrival in Egypt. Jean-Pierre said another large group of Americans is expected to leave Gaza Friday through the Rafah border crossing. Karen Travers, ABC News, the White House. Secretary of State Antony Blinken urged Israel to allow more humanitarian aid into Gaza and do more to protect Palestinian civilians from its war with Hamas, or else there will be, quote, no partners for peace. Israel warned it was on high alert on its border with Lebanon as fears grew. The conflict that began with the Hamas rampage in Israel could widen. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu ruled out a temporary ceasefire in Gaza until all 240 hostages that were kidnapped by Hamas are released. Hezbollah's leader gave his first public speech since the war ended, saying his group had entered the battle, although he stopped short of announcing full engagement of the war. All this continuing as another tense day takes place in the Middle East. ABC's Tom Rivers has more. Back in the region, Secretary Blinken echoing his backing of Israel. We stand strongly with and behind Israel in its right and obligation. To defend itself, defend its people. And he says the U.S. is working behind the scenes to get humanitarian pauses in place for Gaza. We see it uh, as a way also, uh, and, and, and very importantly, of uh, creating a better um, environment in which hostages uh, can be uh, released. Meanwhile, Israel's Netanyahu has ruled out a temporary ceasefire in the Gaza Strip. Tom Rivers, ABC News at the Foreign Desk. Weeks after ordering northern Gaza's 1.1 million inhabitants to evacuate south, the Israeli army is intensifying its bombing of the area that stretches to the wetlands of the Wadi Gaza in the central strip. Israeli soldiers are also fighting Hamas militants just north of Gaza City. It's the start of what officials expect to be a long and a bloody invasion that's already pinned down. Hundreds of thousands of Palestinians who remain in the north after not heeding the warning to flee to the south. Residents say they're trapped in hell. In the aftermath of one airstrike this week, a neonatal nurse spotted the bodies of her two young sons while dealing with a flood of dead and wounded arriving at her hospital. Meanwhile, a California man is facing charges accused of making death threats against the CEO of the Anti-Defamation League. ABC's Alex Stone is more. Amid a growing wave of threats being made against the Jewish community, Ryan Jacobs allegedly posted on social media threatening to kill Anti-Defamation League CEO Jonathan Greenblatt and everybody else at the organization. Court records were just unsealed, and he's accused of taunting the FBI, writing, FBI, you better come and stop me because I'm intent on a real holocaust against the ADL Jews. The ADL reported the threats on October 19th. FBI agency Jacobs admitted to making the post. Alex Stone, ABC News, Los Angeles. The nation's employers slowed their hiring in October, adding a modest but still decent 150,000 jobs to sign the labor market may be cooling but remains resilient despite high interest rates that have made borrowing much costlier for companies and consumers. Last month's job growth, although down sharply from a robust 297,000 gain in September, was solid enough to suggest many companies still want to hire and the economy remains sturdy. Job growth would have been higher in October if not for the now-settled UAW strikes against Detroit's automakers. The strikes largely shrank last month's job gain by at least 30,000, according to economists. The Supreme Court says it will hear a case on the legality of bump stocks, devices that can turn semi-automatic rifles into rapid-fire weapons with a single pull of the trigger. ABC's Stephen Portnoy is more. The high court has agreed to take up the Biden administration's appeal of a lower court ruling that struck down the ATF's bump stock ban. That ban was put in place by the Trump administration after the 2017 massacre at a concert in Las Vegas. The shooter used a bump stock to rapidly fire more than 1,000 rounds, killing 58 people. The Supreme Court will decide whether bump stocks can be deemed to fall under the long-standing federal ban on machine gun. A series of lawsuits challenging former President Donald Trump's ability to run for his old job, are raising the question of what exactly is an insurrection. A rarely used section of the Constitution says no one who swore an oath to the document but then, quote, engaged in insurrection against it can hold higher office. Liberal groups are citing that in an effort to keep Trump off the ballot in Colorado, Minnesota, and other states. They argue the January 6th attack against the Capitol was an insurrection, but there's a debate over how to define the word or even which definition to use. And S- Senator Tommy Tuberville of Alabama is now facing growing pressure to end his nine-month blockade of military promotions. More maybe maybe he's Jay O'Brien. There were a number of Republican senators who went to the floor and said they were going to try to force some of these blocked military nominations to a vote. And Tuberville blocked each of those. And there was this point of tension where he had Tuberville's own colleagues in the Senate reading off, in some cases, the biographies of some of these service members that were being blocked and saying to Tuberville, as one Republican senator said to him, you are doing this and trying to lay all of this at Tuberville's feet. And despite the fact, Tuberville didn't budge.